St. Werberg's Derby. So as I mentioned um, earlier, last week was our first birthday celebrations, a year from when we reopened this church building. For those of you who don't know the story, um, St. Werberg's Church has been here since 18-something, and um, about 30 years ago this church was closed, it was sold off, uh, it was sold to one property developer who um, turned it into a shopping centre, he then sold it on to another property developer who put in a Chinese restaurant, it must have been the biggest Chinese restaurant outside of China. Um, And then uh, for about seven years, this building was completely shut. It was derelict and um, nothing was going on in the life of this church. And this time last year, we were privileged enough to open up the doors again and to bring this building back to what it was originally designed to be and to do, which is a place for people to worship Jesus, to be in community together, to pray and to proclaim Jesus' name. And so we celebrated. Last week we celebrated an incredible first year. And we are blown away by all that God has done in, across the year. To, as we've gathered, as we've formed community, as we've uh, worshipped together, as we've seen people's lives changed and people get to know Jesus for the first time. Or people coming back to church who haven't been to church for a long time. And uh, we've had an incredible year. So we marked that last week and celebrated it. And we did that, part of that was we had this pile of stones. You may look at this pile of stones if you weren't here last week down the front, and you may think, well, it looks like a building site, and it is a bit of a building site, and we are doing more work each and every kind of week. Things are happening, and we've now got two more screens and speakers, and uh, the wall's going up up here, and we've got stairs happening, and various other things that are going to take place as we bring this building back to life. But the stones are Ebenezer stones. There's a story in 1 Samuel where Samuel, who's leading uh, the people of Israel uh, against the Philistines at that point, and God does a miraculous work and defeats the Philistines in this battle, and and Samuel says, we're going to put down an Ebenezer stone, a stone that says, this is how far God has helped us. This is a marker. This is a physical thing to help us to remember all that God has done. And so that's why we have this pile of stones, because we're remembering the journey that God has brought us on so far. And we celebrated. And we did that by eating hog roast, bouncing on bouncy castles, having candy floss, and getting wet sponges thrown at the vicar. I mean, it was a brilliant, a brilliant time last Sunday. But that was last Sunday. And if you're anything like me, you're thinking, that's an amazing celebration, and we thank God for all that's happened, and we thank God for the journey that we're on and the year that we've had. But now, where are we headed? What's the next stage for St. Werberg's? And for those of you who've been around Werbergs for any amount of time, will know that we have a vision to build, say it with me for those of you who know it, to build an authentic community which is Christ-centered that plays our part in transforming the city and beyond. That's amazing. People know it. That's our vision. And I'll talk about that vision every single week we're here. Because that's what we're trying to do. That's what we believe God has called us to do, to be. And so our vision talk this evening isn't, that's it really. That's it, you've heard it. You've heard it for a whole year. You don't need me to rabbit on, but I am going to rabbit on. Because we all gather here tonight with various different backgrounds. Some of you, this might be your very first evening in church. 
And, you know, you've come along and you've had a bit of a donut and a coffee and we've sung some songs and you think, I don't quite understand what this is all about. Well, this is the best Sunday to be here because we're just going to unpack the vision a little bit and just try and work out what that means for us. Maybe you're here, you've come as a student, you've moved into Derby and you're trying to find a church to connect with and, and the temptation of free pizzas brought you along this evening, but you want to know a little bit more than just free food. You want to know what else is there? What am I really connecting into? What is this church trying to do and build? Maybe you haven't been in church for a long time, but you used to go to church and there were reasons why you left church. And you've now moved to Werbergs and you're thinking, I want to know, is this church going to repeat some of those mistakes or cause some of those pains? Or what is it that they're trying to do here? Actually, some of us have moved from other churches to come to this church. And we've left other churches because we believe God might have called us here. But actually, we want to know what's different about this place. It's not just a different church that you're at. It wasn't just that you're in one church and maybe there was a problem and so you've come here and you're hoping that church will be like this. But you want to know, actually, what are we really about and what are we doing? And so the process for this evening, at least my task, what I'm hoping that we'll be able to do, is create some form of alignment. What we're trying to do as a church is to make sure we are all headed in the same direction. To align ourselves behind the vision with where we're going. And as I said, some of us, we are um, coming from other churches. We uh, haven't been to church for a long time, but we've got some questions. Some of us don't even know why we're here and we're going in the other direction because we're kind of uncertain about what this whole God thing's all about. But I'm trying today this evening, trying to get us all thinking that we're headed in the same direction. We're going in the same route. If you're thinking about it in terms of buses, we're putting the number on the front of the bus. The number 62 bus goes where the number 62 bus goes. And and if you want to go where the number 62 bus goes, you want to get that bus. You don't want to get the number four bus because the number four bus goes somewhere else. But for Werbergs, what is the number on the front of our bus? Where are we headed? What are we doing? What is our alignment piece So that we're all going in the same direction. And as we share about that this evening, I'm hoping that we'll be able to change some language a little bit. The change of language will be a change from you to we. It's just a small task that we're going to do tonight. And we're going to do that by jumping into Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 19. If you've got a Bible with you, um, I encourage you to open it up now. Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's fine. It's going to come up on the screens. Um, And we're going to jump into what I think is one of the best stories, one of my favourite stories in the New Testament. So Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I understand how that feels. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for this incredible story. And we ask now that you'll speak into our hearts and minds through the power of your word and through the power of your spirit. And that you may be speaking into our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know what type of um, movies you like to watch. I know... uh, a lot of you, I know all the Avengers things are really big. I know Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, I know that sounds slightly dated, is really big. But I, if I'm honest with you, none of that means anything to me. Um, mainly because I'm old and boring, but uh, mainly because I, don't just, I just don't get it. I can't understand it. I mean, Lord of the Rings, they find a ring, they go on a walk for three hours, and they're still not there. So it's just, it, I just find it hard work. I apologize to those of you who are into that type of stuff. For me, the type of movies that really grab me, the type of stories that really grab me are the ones where we see changed lives. Stories, and in particular, stories, because this is who I am, stories around sport always help. So the type of movies that I really like, I don't know if anyone watched Coach Carter, one of my favorites. Coach Carter, um, uh, so it's a a story about a coach who goes into a school in LA, takes on this uh, failing um, kind of basketball team, but wants to say that to get African-American guys a bit of a chance, the statistics are that they will just end up in jail. And he's like, I'm going to give these guys, I'm going to get them educated. I'm going to help them to play, learn to play basketball. And he's going to get them up to college. That's the dream. And he sees changed lives. These stories really, really get me when I know that they're true. Coach Carter's true. Blindside. Has anyone watched Blindside? Utterly brilliant movie. Story of Michael Ower, or Auer, or something like that. Um, he, uh, his dad was in jail. His mum was a drug addict. He was living a very tough, broken life. And uh, a lady, a white middle-class Christian lady, saw him and took him under her wings. Invited in her, him into her home. Cared for him, looked after him, helped him to learn to play American football, and he went on to play. I think he, I don't know if he still is, but he definitely played in the NFL. A story of a life changed involving sport, but a true story is where I will blub my heart out. That's a proper movie. You can keep your Avengers. And why I love this story in Luke 19 is because there's this true story of a life changed and transformed. A life that was going in one direction, that was having one set of problems, that absolutely, completely and utterly changed and transformed. Zacchaeus, this small man, is a tax collector. Now, to understand why tax collectors are hated, I mean, we could just think, you know, traffic warden, but... um, Apologies if there is any traffic wardens here. We love you, and you're welcome in church. Um, (laughs) Tax collectors. First thing we need to understand about tax collectors is that they had sided with the Romans. 
The Romans were the ruling power in, Jerusalem, in uh, Israel at that point. They were, they were this foreign power that was ruling them. And if you were a good Jewish person, a son of Abraham, you would do the traditional things. So you would have grown up going through school. In their school, you would, un- you would read the Torah. You'd read what is now our Old Testament. You would study it. You would understand it. You would learn it by, completely by rote. You'd get it, you'd understand it, and you'd be able to say what those are. And if you were good, at the points where you got tested, aged 11, aged 14, you kept going, you were educated more. But if you weren't good, you were kicked out. You were told, okay, go and pick up the family business. Go and become a carpenter. Go and become a fisherman. Go and do something that's practical and skilled and bring something to society. So if you're the best of the best, you end up becoming a rabbi. You get to teach the Torah to other people. If you're not the best of the best, you take up a, a personal, a kind of family tradition, family business. But if you've become a tax collector, you've walked away from that whole culture. You said, I'd rather side with the Romans. And then the tax collectors, the next thing that they do is not only have they sided with the Romans, but they steal money off people. No one really likes tax collectors, let's be honest. This idea of giving away money for other people, and not only would they take it for the, for the Roman leaders, but they would take it to line their own pockets. They had some power, they had some authority, and so they would take as much as they could. And then Zacchaeus, not only was a tax collector, not only had he sided with the Romans, not only was he stealing money from other people, but he was a chief tax collector. So he had his minions who went off and did this, and then he stole from them. He was the one who was taking the tax all for himself and lining his own pockets. He was getting wealthy, as the text tells us. He was doing really well out of this business, but what he didn't have was any kind of friends. He was shunned. He was removed from society. People didn't want to do it. Every time they saw him, they would walk the other direction. They didn't want him in their community. They didn't want him around. Removed, pushed away. And so Zacchaeus, shunned, hated, alone, hears that Jesus, this man Jesus, who has been going around and performing miracles and talking to people about this kingdom of God and telling people about that, that God loves them, and suddenly Zacchaeus is interested. Something in him says, I want to know more about this man Jesus. And so he sees that Jesus is coming into town and there's this crowd that is gathering. And so he runs down with his short man syndrome and he's like, let me in, let me in. Let me see, I want to see. But there were too many people. Too many people in every place that he couldn't get to see Jesus. And so he ends up having to climb up the tree so that he can glimpse this man, Jesus. And as Jesus walks past, he stops. He looks up. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And we don't know what happens next. Obviously, Zacchaeus comes down. They get into a conversation. They go into the house. But the text doesn't tell us. This story, we don't hear the inside information, the kind of the conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus and what it works out as. But something happens, so much so that Zacchaeus comes out a completely changed man. If you, will, if you want, you could say that he goes in as a, as a, like a, a raw egg and comes out as a fried egg. What I mean by that is a fried egg can't go back to being a raw egg. Something has chemically changed. 
in that egg. It has now gone from that state to this state. Zacchaeus goes in as a man who is hated and shunned, a man who thinks only of himself and getting wealthier, and he comes out as someone who says, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor, and I'm going to pay back those who I've cheated four times the amount that I've taken from them. He's totally and utterly changed. How has he been changed? What has taken place in that moment to go from a normal egg to a fried egg? Well, for Zacchaeus, I think it all starts when Jesus looked up. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who created the universe and everything in it, the one who is preaching this good news of a kingdom of God, Good news for the poor, freedom for the oppressed, sight to the blind. This Jesus stops and looks up at Zacchaeus. He looks up at him and says, I want to hang out with you. I choose you. And in that moment, Zacchaeus' life has changed. No one chooses Zacchaeus. No one wants to be with him, but Jesus does. Jesus chooses Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus encounters grace. He encounters unconditional love. He encounters community and relationship. He encounters something that is so different to what the rest of the world wants to tell him. That it changes his life forever. Because he encounters Jesus. And so I've got two quick observations about this story that would, I think, teach us something here at Words about the vision and what we're trying to be. First thing is this. Be like Zach. That's not necessarily that you need to rob people and be short, but be like Zach. This person who thinks that society has shunned him, who thinks that he can't be good enough, or that he thinks that he's, it's all about him getting ahead and making himself wealthy, The fact that he's alone and in pain. He is loved by Jesus. And so I want to say this evening that no matter where you've come from, no matter what your situation, no matter what you're going through, Jesus is for you. He chooses you by name. He calls you into relationship. I had this horrific moment on Thursday night that I'm going to just share with you because um, I want you to know my vulnerabilities. Um, But I went to the Christian Union, the CU up at university on Thursday evening. Um, They very kindly, it was the first one of term, they very kindly invited all the church leaders and student pastors from around the city to go and be there. And um, I thought, this is brilliant, because we're going to get to go and meet some freshers and meet some students and kind of invite them down to Werbs and to be part of things. And um, I went up to two, uh, two girls, and I said, Hi, I'm Phil. Are you freshers? Welcome to Dartby. And they both looked at me and went, we've been here for a year and we've been in your church. And I was like, oh no, this is hideous. Apparently what makes it even worse is I'd had that exact conversation with them a couple of months beforehand. So this was the second time I went up to these girls and said, hi, I'm Phil, are you new? And they go, did we talk before? It was a hideous moment. And Olivia and Lydia, I now know your names, 
and I'm really, really sorry. But the good thing is, Jesus knows our names, even if the bald vicar doesn't. We all want to be known. We all want to be invited into a relationship. And that moment when we're not causes a breakdown. Jesus knows you by name. He calls you into a relationship with him. And it's not about how good you are, how many Twitter followers or Facebook likes you've got or Instagram followers, whatever it might be. You don't have to have the kind of the perfect Love Island body to be called by name by Jesus. And equally, you can't discredit yourself. You can't push yourself away. It's not that you think, well, actually, I won't fit in. I'm too bad. I've done this, this, and this. I disqualify myself. No, no, no. Zacchaeus could have said that, but he was invited in. There is nothing you can do to make Jesus love you any more. There is nothing you can do to make Jesus love you any less. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And like Zacchaeus, he knows you by name and he invites you into a relationship with him. He wants you to go from being a normal egg to a fried egg. Now, if you've been on this journey for a while, if you've been um, walking with Jesus for a while and you're thinking to myself, well, okay, Phil, you're calling me a fried egg. It's not the most uplifting or encouraging thing to be called on a Sunday evening. I want to encourage you once again that you must know you are fried. And what I mean by that is you are already changed. God has done a work in you. So don't go back to trying to be this other type of egg. Don't go back to trying to live this way that you were before. Don't go back to old thoughts and patterns and mindsets. You have been changed by the love of Jesus. Be the fried egg. That's the first observation I want to talk about this evening. Second observation. So firstly, be like Zach. Second observation, don't be like the crowd. Don't be the crowd in this story. The crowd in this story are too interested in themselves than they are interested in about the others. The first thing that the crowd do is they form a physical barrier to Zacchaeus getting to know Jesus. Now they would say it's, they, they're just interested. They want to get to know Jesus. They want to get to the front and be there. But they physically form this huge barrier. I remember, um, okay, this is telling you a little bit about my age, but when I was at university, Manic Street Preachers were the band. I've preached about them before and I'll keep preaching about them. But it was the best gig, the loudest gig I've ever been to. And um, the problem with the gig was that every person there felt like they were six foot two at least, except for me. And so um, I got absolutely kind of just battered in this, at this gig with all these massive lads dancing around. Uh, to this very loud, angry music, and I was just this, you know, me, you know, me. And so I got hurt quite a lot because there were too many big people in the way. And that's what Zacchaeus finds. The crowd are big people in the way. They don't care about him. They're shunning him. They are physically putting barriers to Zacchaeus getting to know Jesus. I think, and and I hope you hear me right in this, For those of us who've been around Werbs for a while, when we started a year ago, everybody got up and talked to everybody during the break because we were so desperate to make friends. It was a new church. We didn't know anybody. We all wanted to connect. And so you could go up to anybody without the fear of saying, are you new? And them going, I've been here for a year. Why don't you know me? You were just able to go and talk to each other. But now, a year in, 
we create physical barriers because we've become friends. We've got to know each other. And so we'll get around the people that we know and we'll stand with our backs towards the newcomer and we'll form a physical barrier to them entering into this community. Don't be the crowd. The second thing that the crowd do, not only is there a physical barrier, they create an emotional, mental barrier. When Jesus goes and has uh, dinner with Zacchaeus in his house, they say, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. With their words, they're pronouncing judgment. That emotional, mental barrier that they're placing up. Don't hang out with him. Come and hang out with us. They create barriers all the way through for Zacchaeus coming to know Jesus. What's really fascinating is if you read the text, by the time they're saying he's gone to be a guest of a sinner, he's already become a fried egg. They just don't know it. He's been changed because immediately after Zacchaeus comes out and he says, look, I'm going to give my money back to the poor. I'll pay four times the amount that I've taken. Something has already changed on the inside, but they're still judging him by the world's view. Don't be the crowd, but be like Zacchaeus. We have a vision to build an authentic community, which is Christ-centered, that plays our part in transforming this city and beyond. If we're going to see this city transformed, it's going to be by people coming to know Jesus. And it might be one by one. We pray that it will be more than that. We pray that lives will be shaped and transformed as people are introduced to Jesus so we cannot be the barrier. We have to be the ones who point them to Jesus. And so we do that here at Warburgs. We do that through Alpha. Come to Alpha. Invite your friends, your colleagues, your neighbours. Bring them to Alpha. There can be nothing greater than seeing someone's life transformed as they come to experience Jesus and the love that he has for them. We're going to do it as we do Sundays. So we pray and we hope that you will bring your friends and your family and your colleagues to Sundays. Come and invite them to church. Miriam Swaffield, who works for an organization called Fusion, she works amongst students and, and engaging students in mission. She's an incredible young lady, an incredible communicator. She's just finished her master's, and she wrote a blog about her master's, and her master's was all about how do students come to faith? What's the main way in which students today in this country come to know Jesus? And having studied for a couple of years, read loads of books, having talked to people, interviewed people, what she found out was the main way in which students come to faith is that they get invited to church. It's as simple as that. That's, that's how people come to faith. And I think that's true not just for students, but for every age. They get invited to church. They get invited into a community that doesn't put up barriers, that doesn't judge, that doesn't condemn, but actually welcomes and loves and cares for them. They get invited in. And as they get invited in, they hear about Jesus. And as they hear about Jesus, they encounter grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. And they go from normal egg to fried egg. That's what we're about. In Coach Carter and in the blind side, it takes someone to invest in somebody else. It took Coach Carter. It took Mrs. Tui 
to invest in the people and to see them and to believe for better, to believe that they can change, to help them, to bring out the best in them. It takes a community of people to say, okay, we're for you, we're with you. So could we be, we be, the type of church that believes the best in other people, that believes that change can happen? Can we be the type of community that welcomes in the stranger? Can we be the type of community that enables people to find Jesus? To encounter grace and love and mercy and forgiveness? Can we get aligned behind that vision? An authentic community that loves and cares and welcomes everybody, whether you are a traffic warden or a tax collector or you just have short man syndrome, you are welcome here in this church. And we all have our part to play in that. We all get to step up and connect and to do our bit. An authentic community has to have a community, has to have people who are here week in, week out, getting to know people, loving people, playing our part. Next week, Andy, our associate minister, is going to speak a little bit more about what that might look like in detail. But a passage that we've been connecting with as a church over the past year, a passage that we believe Jesus has given to us as a church, is in Ephesians chapter 2. And this is the message version. And we've read this before and I will read it again. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. We see it starting to take shape before our very eyes. We see what's going on in the life of Werbs. And God is calling you to be part of that. He wants to fit you in brick by brick. But there, for that to happen, for us to get aligned in this, we need to change our language from you to we. We are in this. We are doing it together. Will you join us in building an authentic community? which is centred upon Jesus, that sees lives changed and plays our part in transforming this city and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.